from Drop Biscuit Studios and AJ Benzie. Fame is a bitch. Hey everybody, AJ Benzie here with Fame is a Bitch. This is your show for Friday, August 19th, 2022. It is Free Ball Friday. Free Ball Friday, where we love to let our nether regions hang. Basically, those of you who are not yet initiated with Free Ball Friday, it means that generally isn't um, a theme to the show. I tend to move it around left, right, up, down, and just decide to talk about what I want to talk about. Just to give you a, a, an example of how Free Ball this show is and Fridays are, the, index, the, the ring finger on my right hand has been infected. The tip of my finger has been infected. I don't see anything in there, a piece of metal, a piece of wood. Nothing has come to the tip. I've tried to break the skin open with scissors, with a knife, with nail clippers, needles. It doesn't, it doesn't, nothing comes out. I'm now, right now, oh, it's, it's so hot. I have my finger in a really hot cup of salty water, trying to see if something happens. Um, but it never does. So either way, um, if I sound a little distressed, it's because I'm doing that. But then again, I shouldn't do that during the show. I should do that when the show's over. All right, let me take it out and do it later. So a lot's going on today, this week. It's been in a, it's a, lot, a lot of things happened this week that I kind of found uh, aggravating and um, got some good hate mail this week. I love reading hate mail on my Patreon show. You want to hear some great hate mail? I, I read my hate mail. I love for you guys to hear what people say about me. I'm used to reading it. I've become desensitized to it. It's been 30 years of hate mail, 31 years of hate mail. I don't care. As I said on the show, on, on past shows, I used to get hate mail before the internet was a thing. People would type me letters, write me letters, even cut out letters from magazines and newspapers like a hostage note and get me hate mail. So if you go to that much trouble, and yesterday's guy really opened the thesaurus, and he kept using the same letter for different adjectives. He really put a lot into it. You know, three words that start with a P, then three words that start with an S. Very imaginative. Um, and I let him take his shot. He thinks I'm a fraud, that things I've said in the past are lies, and... I don't know, I guess he didn't ride shotgun with me ever since 1991. The things I've done, the people I've met, the, the experiences I've lived through. I wouldn't lie about this stuff. It's just, I don't do it. <laughs> I don't know what this guy, he's jealous, he's mad, he's, I don't know what he is. But yet, he still pays me five bucks a month to listen to me talk. That being said, if a guy who hates me still pays... Those of you who are not yet on Patreon, go to patreon.com slash fame is a bitch where we tend to get a little more honest and open than I do on any other uh, level. Um, the other day, I took a few shots at the actor Chris Pratt of uh, Jurassic Parks, Jurassic Park uh, fame and other movies and, you know, Parks and Rec. Took a few shots at him on a number of levels and some of you were upset that I did that. I... I guess those of you who maybe you're into religion, you're, you're religious folk, because Chris Pratt is. He's a big hunter. He he believes in that stuff. I gave him some crap about the fact that him and his ex-wife, Anna Farris, didn't know how to handle animals they rescued and had to rehome them. I, I don't like people like that. Get your, shit, get your shit together. It's a pet. It's a pet. 
you know, you, you don't have to rehome something. I, I don't like stuff like that. If you don't like the pet in three weeks, I'm glad you're trying to rehome it, but why don't you like the pet in three weeks? I, I don't like that. He's a God-fearing religious guy. Religion is a huge part of his life. Maybe that's why a lot of people like him. Um, and maybe that's the reason why some of some of my listeners were quick to stand up for him. But the word is, I had mentioned that Chris Pratt's new series on Amazon Prime is called The Terminal List. And a ton of critics panned it. They panned it as right-wing fantasy. Basically, the show and uh, Pratt have a target on their back since this show doesn't promote critics' agendas. Basically, it means it's not a woke show. Now, I like that part of it, as I heavily lean right. But I'm just not gung-ho on Chris Pratt. I think he's a bore. But now I found something out that might make him inch up my list of, you know, good men, good actors, and maybe, just maybe, I might have to take him off my shit list. So here's what's up. Um, Bryce Dallas Howard, his co-star in Jurassic World, she just recently revealed that she was paid a ton less money than Chris Pratt. This has been going on in Hollywood for, you know, dare I say a century. But it's been going on for a long time. You've read about certain actresses who've campaigned to get more money. Scarlett Johansson comes to mind and they've, you know, they've they've broke down the big wigs in Hollywood and cut those big checks. Um, but by and large, women get considerably less than their male co-stars. So initially it was reported that she got paid so much less. Back in 2018, Variety said that uh, that Bryce Dallas Howard was making $2 million less than Pratt for Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom. She made $8 million, Pratt made $10. I, 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 don't, I, I know there's a $2 million shortage there, but I, I don't know anybody that can complain to make $8 bucks for 40 days' work. But they're in this field, and they're allowed to complain. But now Bryce Dallas Howard has opened up about the gender pay gap in an interview, and she wanted to clarify that this disparity in how much money, how much less money she made was really inaccurate. She said the reports were interesting because I was paid so much less than what the reports even said. So much less. She said when she started negotiating for Jurassic, it was 2014. It was a different world back then. You never heard big talk about women getting equal pay, as bad as that sounds. And uh, fortunately... When you make a Jurassic Park movie, you sign up for three movies. So your deals are kind of set. They're set in stone. And she wouldn't say how much the pay gap was, but she did share the fact that she discussed this situation with Chris Pratt. He didn't like the way it sounded. And he decided, I'm going to help you get equal pay on other franchise properties that, that, that don't have contracts set in stone, like video games and theme park rides. That's a big thing. A, a nobody like me gets mad when, let's say I do my high-stakes poker show, and I get paid a good wage for that, and it airs on some internet channels, <clears throat> or it goes to, in the old days, it went to the Game Show Network. And then lately, these shows are being... You know, are they airing on the Vice channel? That's nice that it's on TV and not an internet channel, but I don't get paid extra because the show was sold again to another network. I don't like that. And I'm not talking about great, great, great sums of money for me. I'm talking five figures. 
But if you're making a big movie like Jurassic Park and suddenly your movie that you're in is a ride at, you know, at some Disney theme park or, you know, Universal City Walk in L.A., it's got to piss you off. I remember one time, High Stakes Poker, at one point there was a slot machine for High Stakes Poker and my picture was on it. No one got me involved in that. I didn't get any, any, any cut of it, the amount of uh, nickels that went into that machine. Either way, it could piss you off, especially when you're dealing with millions of dollars and you're talking video games and theme park rides. So what she did say was that Chris Pratt and her discussed it. And whenever there was an opportunity to, to move the needle on stuff that hadn't already been negotiated, like a game or a ride, Pratt said to her, you, go, you don't have to do anything. I'm going to do all the negotiating. We're going to be paid the same, and you don't have to think about this price. And, of course, she said he came through, and I love him for doing that because, you know, I mean, you get sometimes you get paid more for the video game and the, and the, and the theme park ride than you do for the movie. Now, these, these, these two have been in three movies, three Jurassic movies. I think I just saw the first one. But, uh, yeah, she's got Chris Pratt to thank for the great big money truck backing up to her house and dropping a ton of uh, many millions of dollars on a driveway. And you know what? That makes him a good guy in my book. You know why? Because fuck Hollywood. The studios make so much money. The heads of the studios make evil amounts of money. And uh, it's good for a guy like Chris Pratt to stand up as long as he has, you know, gigantic bargaining power that doesn't last forever to see that uh, his female co-star be treated more fairly so i gotta give it up to him here's a male star i don't want to give it up to the middle jonas brother what is it that's joe jonas right joe jonas who's married to sophie turner from game of thrones um he decided to make a commercial an infomercial for botox or some kind of filler that you put in your skin you know, to smooth out the wrinkles and make you look younger. This little punk's in his 30s. He wants to look younger. You know. So he's being a big advocate of Botox and filler, and even males wearing makeup. He says he's used the treatment for uh, not only his frown lines, because there's so much to be unhappy about at his age, but all the success the Jonas Brothers have had. Who the fuck has frown lines when you've been that successful? Oh, God. And he has to smooth out a scar between his eyebrows. You know, big problems, guys. I mean, we all know we have problems going to work. But, you know, a scar by your eyebrows, you just want to fill in those pock marks on your face. It makes everything so much better. So, like I said, he films an infomercial. And it's as horrible and laughable as you think. But he hopes by speaking out about his cosmetic treatments that other men might feel comfortable doing the same. Now, I don't think any young man would take any type of this advice from a Jonas brother. Then again, I'm probably wrong because this next generation coming up is so screwed up and soft that of course they will. And Joe Jonas was quick to say, you know, I always hear people say things like, you know, oh, men can't do this or it's weird for guys to do that and I think there's a stigma that's fading, and I like that. Guys are more openly wearing makeup, and it's great to see. It's like, do whatever you want, you know? It's a beautiful generation that we're living in.
Oh, Christ. He also spoke with Allure magazine about his new partnership with this uh, this drug, Xeomin, X-E-O-M-I-N. Very easy procedure, men out there. I didn't feel like I was going into a big thing that you only see on film and TV. I went with a friend, and they also did it with me, too. And it was so it was so not stress-inducing. To me, there's nothing more beautiful than confidence. Yeah, you know what? Guys, before you go get Botox or want your skin to magically get better, you know what you do? Lots of people don't know. You don't need a 14-step skin routine. Drink a lot of water. Change your friggin' pillowcases once a week. That works wonders. But Jonas is not the only major name working with this drug. Gwyneth Paltrow partnered with the company back in 2020. She's had many injections that help her look less pissed off, she says. That's a start. Gwyneth Paltrow is one of those chicks. uh, There seems to be very little about her that most men would find irresistible. Let's put it that way. She doesn't have a look that is very inviting to men, you know, on a number of... um, Different levels, let's say that. Her features <clears throat> her features really aren't beautiful if you take them one by one. Her lips are very thin. Her hair just lays there. She's very pasty-skinned. No curves to speak of. And yet, and yet I have to admit, when you sit with her in person, something happens. Suddenly she becomes very pretty. She becomes engaging. You can't take your eyes off her. It happened to me anyway. I interviewed her once, and, and, and she knows what she's doing. Went to get flirty at what moment to get flirty, how to put you at ease, all that shit. She's very good at it. So Jonas, like I said, is with Sophie Turner. They got two children. And other stars <clears throat> don't think he's so correct to be on board with injectables. Drew Barrymore is one. Cameron Diaz doesn't like them. Jennifer Gardner, too. They've all spoken out against them. Well, I, listen, I say Drew and Cameron could use some quick fixes. I find it odd that in this day and age, women would be quick to jump off a beauty product, and yet this guy, this young man, is a huge proponent of it. There's a switch happening where men are becoming so much more feminized than ever before. I've said, I've gotten Botox in the past, but I I can't say I did it to be more beautiful. I got it to help with the after effects of Bell's palsy I got 18 years ago, and it worked. But I didn't do it beyond that. I've had it like six times or so in 18 years, always in the same spot. Same teeny-weeny amount. I get it twice a year. I haven't gotten it in way over a year, and I could tell. But at this point, I just can't accept throwing 600 bucks in my face every six months when I got kids who need things. I can't rectify that. But what the hell is happening with guys in this business? They're all so damn soft. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. 
That's joinmidi.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Speaking of soft, did you hear the latest from Jonah Hill? I can't take this. Jonah Hill has addressed his fans in an open letter where he revealed that, get ready for this. I don't know how you're going to take this. Jonah Hill will no longer be participating in any public events or press to promote his future projects. Did you hear that? He's not going to promote them. Not even his upcoming documentary called Stutz. He directed it, and it explores Jonah Hill's long-standing journey with therapy, anxiety, and panic attacks. And he said, I, I finished directing my second film, a documentary about me and my therapist, which explores mental health in general, called Stutz. The whole purpose of making this film is to give therapy and the tools I've learned in therapy to a wide audience for private use through an entertaining film. And to that I say, isn't it obvious those tools aren't working? If you can't talk about the film, then the tools are not working, Jonah. He continued, through this journey of self-discovery within the film, I've come to the understanding that I've spent nearly 20 years experiencing anxiety attacks, which are exacerbated by media appearances and public-facing events. Oh, bullshit. I don't buy it. This guy's such a softie. Remember, he couldn't take his shirt off for a while. He, he told everybody, I can't take my shirt off till I was in my 30s when he went swimming. He said he's very grateful that the personal documentary was going to premiere at a prestigious film festival this fall. And he noted his excitement to share the project with the public with the hope that it will help those struggling. How do you think those who are struggling will feel about you, who is clearly struggling, and the fact that you can afford a big-time therapist with all the money you make? Something's not right here. Something's not jiving. You won't see me at, at, at out there promoting this film or any of my other upcoming films while I take this important step to protect myself. I know. It's so, it's so scary. Those people with the cameras and the those vicious women who work for Entertainment Tonight or different magazines. Unbelievable. If I made myself sicker by going out there and promoting it, I wouldn't be acting true to myself for the film. Jonah acknowledged his position as one of the privileged few who can afford to take time off, thank you, and he's not going to lose his job while working on his anxiety, of course. With this letter and with Stutz, I'm hoping to make it more normal for people to talk and act on this stuff so they can take steps forward toward feeling better and so that the people in their lives might understand their issues more clearly. I hope the work will speak for itself, and I'm grateful to my collaborators, my business partners, to all reading this for your understanding and support. Now, remember, guys, this is a person who wrote a public letter last year that asked all of us to stop talking about his body. 
Guy's worth $60 million, but please, no comments about my body. Are you kidding me? As I mentioned, you should see the hate letters I get. And it's the same stuff for 30 years. I'm a fraud. I'm a fake Italian. I'm desperate. I'm a failure. Just quit. You're embarrassing. You're a, you're a drug and alcohol addict. Failure. <laughs> now, it's funny. I've still never thought about writing a public letter demanding that everybody stop doing this to me. Comes with the territory, pal. Just buck up and be strong. I don't know what's going on with the people in this in, in this industry. They just they be the the, the, the amount of, of men who got so soft is disgusting. But they make these Marvel superhero movies and they get involved in the franchise in the Marvel universe, the DC universe, and they start to believe because they went in the weight room with a trainer for three months that now they're like kind of tough and they're allowed to say what they said. They shed that baby fat at 42 years old and now you got to listen to me. No, no. <sighs> I was deep in a rabbit hole looking for something that... Um, my writing partner, Neil Gumpel and I did years ago. We did this movie review show. Just two guys reviewing films, like, you know, talking like regular guys would talk. Picture two guys working over the hood of their car on a driveway who decide to talk about, hey, did you catch that new movie? And then they kind of review it in regular terms. Not like Siskel and Ebert discussing the cinematography and the editing. Just like two regular people talk. This is year. We did this like 18 years ago. On, the, on some internet channel. So I'm scrolling because somebody said they noticed that they're still on, the, on YouTube. And I, I thought they were gone. As I'm looking for them just to catch up on and be nostalgic. I see a show I did on Princess Diana for Reels Channel. Princess Diana's Death I did for Reels Channel. And uh, <clears throat> it was interesting because she's in the news again today. Or yesterday. It's amazing how this story about Princess Diana's Death just keeps on giving. And apparently, tonight's the 18th, you're going to get this the 19th, but tonight, Thursday night, there's a show that goes into great depth about Diana's death in the car, in the tunnel, and the fact that she had a very deep gut feeling that she was going to die in a car wreck. So the word is that two years before her fatal accident, she predicted she would die in a car crash. And this came to be known as the Mishkan note. And like I said, if you catch the show, if you caught the show last night on Discovery Plus, the Diana investigations, I can't, I can't stand all these whatever channels now asking people to subscribe for content. I find it ridiculous. We're all being $7 to death. Discovery Plus, the hell with ESPN Plus, Nat Geo Plus, Paramount Plus. Enough. How greedy can these networks be? Anyhow, this series on Diana, I'm, I'm not going to watch it, but I'm telling you it's out there. But what happened, <clears throat> if you go back and think of the story, because I did, a, like I said, I did a show on this. It was, it was obviously gigantic news. And to be quite frank, I thought when this happened, I thought the gossip game was going to change drastically. And it didn't. It just became even bigger. With that crash and her death and the death of Dodi Fayed, TMZ was born not too long after that, and, and it just got bigger and bigger. I thought the opposite would happen, but back in October of 1995, 
Word is Diana asked for a private meeting with her personal legal advisor, Victor Mishkan, and apparently she wanted to tell him about something that was on her mind, something she knew was going to happen. So this guy Mishkan takes uh, very good notes of their conversation, during which Diana said that reliable sources, and she would name them, but she said that she trusts these reliable sources, that they informed her that a car accident might be staged. And apparently, she predicted she would either end up dead or be seriously injured in this car crash. Now we go to August of 1997. Diana, along with her partner, Dodi Al-Fayed, and her driver, Henri Paul, they die after Henri slams their Mercedes into a pillar at 65 miles an hour in that tunnel in Paris. It turned out that Henri Paul was under the influence of uh, alcohol and prescription drugs, but uh, was also trying to dodge a bunch of crazy paparazzi who were trailing them on motorcycles. Now, before I go any further, I don't know paparazzi on motorcycles with a camera in one hand that are going to get that close to a speeding car at 65 miles per hour. I just, I don't know. I wasn't there. I could be wrong. But I don't think they get that close. They got long lenses on those goddamn things. Um, but then again, they, they were looking for that shot right through the window where they can get her face real close. So it could be. And those shots are worth hundreds of thousands of dollars if they're sold. And they look just right. But according to people in this docuseries, Mishkan gave the note of his meeting with Diana to the London Metropolitan Police Commissioner, Commissioner at the time, Sir Paul Condon. And it wasn't until after Condon's successor was named, John Stevens, when he got the post, at that point the public was made aware of this note's existence because the first guy, Condon, had locked it away in his safe. Why he did that? You should ask yourself why. Why are you trying to hide something like that? It took the next guy to bring that out of the safe. Doesn't sit right with me. <clears throat> and when the coroner announced the inquest, um, this guy, John Stevens, said, I made sure that that letter was immediately given to the royal coroner who at that time was Michael Burgess, and then subsequently became Lord Justice Scott Baker. These guys are amazing. These titles are hysterical. He said, I saw Lord Mishkan about a month before he died, in about the spring of 2005, and he held course to the fact that he thought Diana was paranoid and he hadn't much credence in the note. I don't believe that. I don't believe you keep a note from the princess and not let that out, unless there was some ulterior motives or he knew of something afoot. Now, turns out there was a second letter allegedly written by Diana in October of 96, two months after her divorce from Prince Charles, that had a similar kind of premonition. And Diana, Diana's butler, Paul Burrell at the time, published that note in his 2003 book, A Royal Duty. I could have a field day with that title, but I won't. Um... It felt like it wasn't that hard for Diana to make this prediction that she'd die in a car wreck. You know what I mean? And I feel like she spent so many years being tailed by paparazzi and having dozens of near crashes and near terrible wrecks that what was she supposed to think would kill her? That her parachute wasn't going to open in a, ski, a skydiving accident? That she'd die in a plane crash? 
you know, I, I'd be more impressed if she said she knew for a fact she'd be hit by lightning, and then that's exactly what would have, would have happened. I mean, okay, car crash, we can kind of understand that. Doesn't exactly make her clairvoyant. But if someone said this is going to be this is going to happen for real, that's pretty scary shit. And let's not forget this. I don't know if I told many of you people, some of you new listeners from uh, listening through Drop Biscuit Studios. <clears throat> I covered Diana obviously back in my day, and I never knew anybody who knew how to play the press like Princess Diana did. I never met her. I never talked to her. I was in the same room as her once, and she has that aura naturally. It's it's, it's an amazing thing. But I'm not, I was never a big fan of the royal family. So it didn't really mean that much to me, the whole squabble and leaving Charles and Camilla Parker Bowles. That stuff never meant a lot to me. To me, Diana was a woman who was obviously married to a frig-faced bore who'd taken to cheating on her with an older, unbecoming woman. I mean, I felt badly for Diana, but I used to always question, what was a beautiful woman like her doing with that stuffy jerk-off? I get that she was mainly just living for her children at some point, you know, just sticking it out in the marriage to be with her sons, but like I said, she just wasn't somebody who I needed to idolize, put it that way. And I, I, I said this in the past. I told you what happened when she died. <clears throat> I had a producer at the E! Channel, Michael Danahy, gay man, huge fan of Diana. And like every gay man, obviously, lived and breathed by whatever she did. One day I got a phone call from Michael on my cell phone. And this is what I hear. AJ, how are you? How are you feeling? First of all, I hate that question. I'm never any good with that question. I'll never ever tell someone exactly how I'm feeling. Because to me, anybody who asks that question really doesn't even want to know how you're feeling. Most people say it because they want to tell you how they're feeling. They're just giving you first crack at it. So I say to Michael, like I say to everybody who asks that question, I'm fine. Hanging in there. What's up? And he begins to blubber a little bit. I'm like, hey, you're right. Michael, what's wrong? And then he lets it all out. Oh, I've been such a mess. I've been such a mess. Meanwhile, I still have no idea what's going on. I go, is everything okay with you and your partner? What's up? What's, what's going And then he just burst out. It's Diana. I've been crying nonstop since the news came out. <laughs> now, I admit, back then, when she died, my mind wasn't on gossip at all. I, in fact, the news of her death came at a time when I just left New York City for Los Angeles to work as a TV host, and my TV show was on my mind. I'd stopped writing gossip. I had no more daily deadlines. I kind of felt free and loose. I worked two or three days a week at E. It was really easy. The money was good. And I already informed my manager and my agent, like, from here on in, I don't want to be tied together with gossip. I want to work in TV and film. No more gossip. And my manager at the time... The great Howard Lapidus told me, no, 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 Pope, this is a mistake. You can't walk away from that now. You are gossip. This is Everybody sees you this way. It's not easy to erase that and move into another field, not after the effect you've had on people. I said, that's for you to manage, pal. TV and film, no more gossip. You look back, and obviously he was right, but I'll continue with this story in a second. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It was always increasingly hard to part ways with gossip. You know, it's, it's in my blood. I've been listening and talking about movie stars since I was a little kid with my mom, reading the gossip pages on her knee, Rona Barrett. You know, I, all those people, Liz Smith, Cindy Adams. I was always a nosy person to begin with, and I love to ask questions and get to the bottom of things. And like I've said in the past, and it's something I didn't want to believe back then, but basically, you are who the world says you are. It's very hard to convince the world that you've changed direction. Once you are a certain person and you make a name for yourself in that field, you have to just kind of accept you are who the world says you are. But either way, I was so not into gossip at that point that, you know, can you imagine a guy like me not caring about a princess dying in an ugly car wreck after a paparazzi chase? I mean, it's kind of open to interpretation, but there's there's reason to believe that Diana was killed because London's secret intelligence agency, MI6, wanted her dead on orders from Prince Charles and the royal family. And you can pick many reasons why they would have said that, but... That wasn't on my mind, but if I had my gossip hat on, that's the way I would have thought right away. And in the coming days, I began to get more interested in the story. I saw the pictures of the wreck, and it got more into the the grimy details of it all. And then it became really interesting for me to ponder what I think actually happened in that tunnel. And initially, after 1998, there were investigations in Britain and France that found that Diana died in a manner consistent with the way it was portrayed in the media. But then in 1999, a French investigation said that Diana died as a result of the crash. Okay, we get that. This French investigator, a judge named Hervé Stefan, said that the paparazzi was some distance from the Mercedes when it crashed, and they were not responsible. And after hearing evidence at the British inquest, a jury returned a verdict of unlawful killing by driver Henri Paul and the paparazzi pursuing the car. So the, st- the actual verdict said, in addition, the death of the deceased was caused or contributed to by the fact that the deceased were not wearing a seatbelt and by the fact that the Mercedes struck the pillar in the Alma tunnel rather than colliding with something else. Um, the British tabloid, the Daily Express, and... Dodi Fayed's father, the Egyptian businessman, Mohammed Al-Fayed, were really intent on spreading or at least introducing different theories to how this crash could have happened. Um, And the things that he brought out and the Daily Express, the tabloid newspaper brought out, 
They said things such as in 2001 that Diana's butler, a guy named Paul Burrell, published a note that he claimed had been written by Diana in 1995 in which there were allegations that Prince Charles was planning an accident, quote-unquote, in Diana's car, brake failure and serious head injury so that he could marry Camilla Parker Bowles. With that, then a special Metropolitan Police inquiry team was established a few years later called Operation Paget, headed by the Commissioner John Stevens, remember him, to investigate the the bunch of conspiracy theories which led up to the British inquest. This investigation looked into 175 conspiracy claims that were made by Dodi Fayed's father. Just him alone. <laughs> Let's fast forward to 2005. Prince Charles, as a witness, told Stevens that he knew nothing about Diana's note from 95, and he couldn't understand why she'd had those feelings. Well, that's bullshit. He knew that she knew there was some hanky-panky going on, so of course she could have those feelings. And Fayed's father has repeatedly claimed that he believes his son was murdered with Diana. Diana, and the two main theories that go together, A, is one or more rogue cells in the British Secret Service devised and carried out a plot to kill her. And an official campaign by MI6, which is the British Secret Service, to assassinate Diana was sanctioned by elements of the establishment. And the motives here are, well, the rogue elements of MI5 or MI6 decided that Diana was a threat to the throne and therefore the stability of the state. And they said, we got to take her out. Because they're thinking with similar motives to this possible rogue element, the official campaign was driven by a fear that Diana was possibly going to convert to Islam because Dodi was a Muslim. And the implication was that the two princes, William and Harry, would follow their mother's lead into Islam. And, you know, Prince Charles and the Queen were not having that. It may sound circumstantial, obviously, but you put it together and it's capable of raising enough doubt that maybe this wasn't an accident. And here are some of the questions and doubts that were raised by the investigation. Some things happened that seemed weird. The rapid disposal of the bodies. Diana and Dodie's bodies were gotten rid of pretty quickly. Diana had no post-mortem prior to her burial in Althorpe. And whenever you're a victim of a sudden death, you're, a post-mortem is required by law in the UK. There's also something having to do with a missing white car, the Fiat. There was a huge, large-scale investigation by French authorities. And uh, how could this car have evaded the police net around Paris? Everybody knows the car hit the Mercedes used by Diana and Doty because there were paint marks on the bends. And witnesses referred to the car lurching around the road at various speeds as both that car and the Benz entered the tunnel of death. Then we go to Henri Paul, the driver. So a lot of misinformation surrounding this guy. But I think, and looking back on this case, he does have uh, an enormous amount of doubt cast around him. First, people said he was said to be driving at up to 120 miles per hour. 
Um, some people say 60, some say 120. Was he really drunk? There was words that uh, came in the press that said uh, he was drunk. They, they looked at film back then. They saw he only had two drinks at the Ritz, and no other evidence ever emerged to support this claim. He got a blood test. One, well, he was dead at this point. It's common for alcohol levels to rise in bodies after they die, regardless of how much you take in. The test showed a large, a high level of carbon monoxide, 20% in his blood. And experts say that this would have incapacitated him before he set off on the final car drive. And yet, if you look at the video outside the hotel, the evidence says he's walking around, talking normally, doesn't seem drunk at all. Was he an alcoholic? Well, as a pilot, he passed a bunch of rigorous health checks two days before the accident. His liver showed no signs of abuse on the post-mortem uh, exam. Now there's this question that came up that this guy had multiple bank accounts, and he had in them balances that far exceeded his salary as the acting head of security at the Ritz. Some people suggested maybe, you know, he was a long-term sleeper agent for a secret service agency, or maybe French intelligence. Then we have Dodie Fayed's bodyguard, Trevor Reese Jones, the only survivor. At one point, he was a member of Her Majesty's Armed Forces, and rumors suggest that he may have been a sleeper agent for MI5 or MI6, particularly as the establishment were keen to keep tabs on Muhammad al-Fayed. They didn't like a Muslim in their midst. And he was also the only person in the car to wear a safety belt. There was also an explosion. There was a loud bang that followed that explosion inside the tunnel. Right after the crash news was broadcast, witnesses came on TV saying they heard an explosion or a bang before they heard the car crash. Which makes you ask the question, was that a gunshot? Was it a bomb? Then, of course, the theory I like the most. And we went down this hole on my showcase close with A.J. Benza. There was a white light. Other witnesses describe an extremely bright white light, much stronger than the kind of light you'd see coming out of a photographer's flashbulb. And this light illuminated the tunnel before the crash sounds. Now, there are powerful anti-personnel flash guns that are available to private citizens out that way, but they're not very expensive to buy. But security forces... They've got access to much stronger tools. And all of them, it was said, are capable of blinding a victim, not for a few seconds, for several minutes, which is easy enough to cause a fatal crash. And uh, there will be no physical evidence for investigators to, to, to piece through. Then we've got James Hewitt, the former lover of Diana. He says that he was warned. He was warned on several occasions by elements of the security forces and a member of the royal family to stop seeing the princess or else, or his health would suffer. Now, he'd been exposed previously as being very willing to exploit a situation for his own ends. He wrote that sleazy book about Diana, which he can, there was a sleazy book that he contributed to for money. So uh, he's a little bit of a freaky person on the edge of the story. The paparazzi have to be brought into this. They were initially blamed for the crash, but witnesses seem to agree that the bikes, like I said, were not close enough to the Mercedes in the tunnel to have actually interfered with the progress. 
So you put that all together, and you come back with, you know, there are still a lot of questions that, that, that come out of this incident. To me, the most plausible explanation still, you know, obviously it was a tragic accident. Henri Paul was driving to some degree under the influence of alcohol, tried to accelerate away from the photographers. He lost control going into the tunnel. There's a slight curve in the road. And maybe as the car impeded his progress, he crashed into the tunnel's 13th pillar. That's the most plausible explanation, but no one really knows for sure. And while there will always remain doubt as to whether it was an accident, it's, it's reasonable to question what the possible alternatives are. And the most plausible of these has to involve, like we started out with, members of the UK establishment and the Secret Service um, people who had anything to lose from Diana and Dodie's relationship. And the fact that, they, that these people were able to keep such a plot secret, I think that would have been the work of a very small, isolated cell working under its own auspices within the system. You know, if MI5 or MI6 really do operate as efficiently as uh, James Bond films lead us to believe, then there'd be nothing to stop them from orchestrating Diana's death and making it appear to be an accident. You've seen enough Bond films. That's where I'm at with this whole thing. And then I remember when I told my producer, Michael Danahy, that I supported a few conspiracy theories that British Secret Service probably were ordered to kill Diana and Dodie. He cried his eyes out all over again. You know, when it comes to gay men and Diana, you know what they love to say. The candle burned out long before the legend ever did. So I don't know if you're going to catch this docu-series on, uh, on the streamer service, Discovery Plus. I'm not going to do it. I've lived this story too many times, but you might want to catch it. You tell me what you think. Write me at popebenza at gmail.com. P-O-P-E-B-E-N-Z-A at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your theories. Um... I love opening things like this up to the masses and getting your uh, your ideas about this stuff, your opinions about things like this. These are these are great, great conspiracies. These are stories about death that uh, just never seem to go away. And a death like this, the death of a princess inside that tunnel where she didn't die right away, is uh, it's never going to leave us, I suppose. It's like Marilyn Monroe. It's like a few other ones out there. It's It really hits us at our core. Especially if you're a gay man. <laughs> I don't know why. They get so wrapped up in the deaths of these icons like Judy Garland, Monroe, uh, Princess Diana. God help me when Cher dies. I hope Cher dies of natural causes. If she doesn't, I don't want to hear from my gay friends. All right. I'm AJ Benza. That was your show. That's a free ball Friday for August 19, 2022. Remember, if you want to hear more uh, uh, personal stories, more breaking news, more hate mail, and more FIAB stories, then please go to patreon.com slash fame is a bitch. Other than that, I'll talk to you folks Monday. Have a great weekend. Thank you for listening. Fame is a bitch is an AJ Benza Drop Biscuit Studios production featuring the endless wisdom, insightful commentary, and sometimes fucked up perspective of AJ Benza. Executive producer, Mike Agavino. 